jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. That was so decisive. It <laughs> feels like you've really found yourself over the course of the pandemic era episodes of Kick the Jukebox. Uh, that this is with our season finale, this episode being our season finale, I think it's fitting that I finally found my voice. Yeah. Yeah. You used to be a little music geek boy, <laughs> and now you're a little music geek man. Exactly right. Exactly right. I'm not <laughs> fucking around anymore. No, that's right. You're you're in it to win it. Right. Because this is Kick the Jukebox. This is your favorite 20th century musicology podcast where we deep dive into an album of the week. This week, it is Scree Politi's 1984 Cupid and Psyche 85. <laughs> super, super cool album. And it's also an exploration of our friendship. Kyle, how you doing? Doing great. Been busy. Got a new uh, gig recently that's kept me uh, kind of working a lot. But um, yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. And uh, but I'm excited to be back doing Kick the Jukebox, and especially with this uh, season finale, really uh, hopefully closing it out strong. Well, every episode we do is perfect, so Correct. I can't imagine if this one would be any different. To continue to yeah, to close it out strong as. Just to get it to get it over with to do the perfect episode that I knew we would do anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just like it's like this episode is the marble, and all that you're doing is you're chipping away at the marble to reveal the <laughs> Venus de Milo inside yeah. of it, right? Venus de Milo. Yes, the Venus de Milo inside of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, had to make a television reference. If it's it's not kick the jukebox unless some um, obscure uh, you know post punk reference. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. And actually, that gets us into Scritti Politi because... Yes, it does. So they were considered a post-punk band when they started and then went through yep. like this really interesting transformation. So I'd love for you to walk us through a little bit why you chose this album and what it means to you and, you know, the story behind this band. Yeah, so um, Scritti Politi pretty much is the brainchild of a guy who goes by the moniker Green Gartside. Yes. Who is, so a little bit of the history of the band, they kind of came of age in England in the 70s, which means that, or the UK in the 70s, because he's Welsh. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they were very, they were right there kind of at the beginning of the punk era in the UK, and they kind of came of age and first you know, had any sort of notoriety being associated with the early days of Rough Trade Records, and which was kind of the epicenter of the DIY punk indie music scene in the UK. And a lot of their music early on was very, you could call it post-punk. You know, I've heard in interviews, Green Guardside said, you know, the cool thing back then was to play your instrument as poorly as possible, mm -hmm. very avant-garde, kind of like angular guitars, mm -hmm. um, very not super accessible. So that was the style of music and the kind of, the scene overall was very much, you know, very early DIY. We don't know anything, but we're gonna work really hard to 
you know, figure out how to use the recording equipment, figure out how to distribute our records, figure out how to literally, you know, cut up cardboard to make sleeves for 45s, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where they kind of came of age. And they would have been considered like a very authentic, you know, British punk band. Yeah, and they sprung from a from like they were all Marxists in the same Marxist club, correct? Oh, correct. so that's that's kind of important too, right? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, and that's a really good point. The other side of Scritti Politi that's probably the most well known and talked about. And we can get into their progression because this album obviously sounds nothing like any of the music I've just described. Yeah, which is so uh, interesting. Yeah. Yes, and I think it. it we can get into it, but that transformation of a lot of punk bands or post-punk bands is what's so fascinating, and the transformation is so seemingly self-aware and stark in the case of Scritti Politi that that's what I think always fascinated me about this music, that it had anything ever to do with punk. And the more I've you know gotten older and learned, it just it, it even made me more interested. But to go back, the other thing that you'll often hear about when people talk about Scritti Politi or Green Guard Side is you know green guard side is the greatest genius to ever make pop music so you know. <laughs> he is definitely up there he's really a fascinating figure and he's traversed so many different genres yes exactly and and they'll you know he was he's like he was a marxist and he is you know extremely well versed in like you know postmodern deconstructionist crit literary critical theory and they'll say you know all these like really academic concepts appear in his lyrics you know i'm not an expert on that stuff and it's you know not always easy for me to parse out exactly what you know antonio gramsci reference he's making in totally every song but like you know he uh, and that's what always fascinated too fascinated me too because i think i first came in first learned of scritti politi in a college maybe probably mm -hmm. and you know it, it always just fascinated me how much people were mapping his genuine worldliness and knowledge uh of like very difficult um philosophical and literary cr uh, criticism like these like um concepts like how much actually appeared in the lyrics and how much was just him a very smart guy just trying to make pop pop music you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, he sort of, I would say, in this transition, he came to the realization that pop music isn't necessarily non-intellectual. And that's, I think, a, a distinction that a lot of music listeners make, that yeah. if something is, is made for a mass audience, that means that it, for some reason, can't be smart or can't right. make you think. And I would say that he was sort of part of a broader movement of songwriters in the late 70s into the 80s that felt that that, 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 that there was no differentiation. We talked about this a lot on the podcast before, but it bears repeating here. There's mm -hmm. no differentiation between high art and low art mm -hmm. and that music is, is built to make you feel a certain way. And yep. any form of you know clear expression that you can give will achieve the effective results. And, and in this case, this album, which is like a lush, amazing mm -hmm. like glittering synth yes. pop record yes is uh about this wide variety of like really interesting emotional and intellectual topics and yes. it, and it succeeds you know really well on all fronts before we leave the punk roots of scritti politi behind and focus more on this album i just want to mention because it's so part of who they were you know i don't know if you you know this but I, when I was doing my research this week, 
they printed the budget for their first single on the single that they assembled themselves because yeah. they wanted to make the ins and outs of how to produce music accessible for their listenership. Yeah, exactly. And I think they wanted to know everyone to know what are you paying for? They wanted to just deconstruct exactly, you know, like why you're paying this much for our record and what we had to pay to make it, you know, like it, it, it goes. Yeah. And also just to be able to say anyone can do this. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting set of ethos to spring up from as a, as a music, you know, as a musician. And then it sort of, I, I would say it didn't really sit well on Green Guard's side because he's always been like somewhat emotionally fragile, it seems, because he's gone through like several periods of what he self-describes as panic attacks. Yeah. And what happened with the early Marxist Scritti Politti is he had sort of a major panic attack performing these songs and it just didn't sit well with him. And he was actually contacted by his parents because I think he ended up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was contacted by his parents who he hadn't been in touch with for quite a while and they took him home to recuperate. And while he was recuperating, he started listening to a lot of American R&B and soul and pop. And mm -hmm. that's when he realized that he wanted to try his hand at writing pop music. And then he kind of like knocked it out of the park. He yes. sort of, he sort of, you know, hit the ground running when it came to being like an effective pop songwriter, which is definitely, I think, where the genius comes in. Right. And I think he also just went all in because I think he was so he wanted to make a statement about what pop music can do mm -hmm. and that's what's so interesting about this album it's like you know if you if you went in knowing nothing I mean it is the poppiest big 80s glittering I think is a great word shiny synthy album I mean it's just so it's so poppy that it does almost seem like super self-aware well, definitely there's an there's a level of self-awareness to it, as we'll get into when we sort of get into some of the lyrical content. Mm. But there's a good level of self-awareness in a lot of pop music that's a lot less smart than this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and another thing about the sound of this record is that it was one of the first albums to really lay into using sequencers mm -hmm. as much as it did. And that element of it makes it sound ahead of its time. But I think in a really specific way that I appreciate it, because this album came out in 84, and there's really nothing like it that you can hear that came out in 84, you know, yeah. that's really similar to this. But it it's just a few years ahead, which means that a lot of people listened to it and were inspired by it for their own stuff. Like, this isn't like, a, I, I would never say this is a 20 years ahead album, but it's <laughs> certainly a five years ahead album. Yes. And right. that's interesting. Like, everybody that ended up producing for people like Paula Abdul and Janet Jackson were definitely listening to this. For sure. Which is which is so interesting. Like, and, and that's, I think, the musical place where this where this music actually sits. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's like, re, it ended up becoming like the template for a lot of really slick R&B that was like more digital sounding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And definitely this whole album is 
so influenced by like a, it has such a heavy soul sound to it uh-huh. and i would say that then this album became pretty influential on you know music you know for black people by black people as right. well like into mm-hmm. the into the late 80s early 90s like those acts yeah. that we just talked about and a lot of other people too even yep. like stuff like millie vanilli i feel sounds a lot yeah. like this and sure, that's not sure. me dissing millie vanilli uh that song <laughs> the, their singles were great you know yeah the scandal aside that music's fucking awesome <laughs> anyway <laughs> let's get into it let's listen to the first track on the album that, that we're going to talk about it's small talk it's the second it's the second track on the album and it encapsulates so much about what makes this album great. of funny about this one Hmm. and this whole album is because when i edit this podcast very often i have to cut out like a long a lengthier intro to a song and the reason why i have to do that is because i really want to get to the meat and potatoes of the song for our listeners for that like minute long clip that i play but like this is so clearly supposed to be a pop track because it gets the fuck into it like immediately (laughs) it's like here's the chorus of the song this is what the song's about all right let's delve into it here (laughs) right exactly i think yeah i think he's like so aware of pop song craft and song structure that he's just and you know interesting too and kind of go off that another thing i read was that he was kind of sick of this concept that uh rock music for whatever that means is somehow more authentic because it's you know spontaneous and Mm -hmm. raw and looser whereas something that is like premeditated and precise like pop music is somehow less authentic and i think he wanted to kind of really dismantle that concept 100 percent, or just you know dive so deep and into the into like what the rockest you know critics would have criticized about pop music he was like i'm gonna play that all that shit up and just go in 110 percent on all those tropes yeah absolutely and on its surface it does sound just like a pretty simple top 40 radio single Mm -hmm. but then you know the actual lyrical content of the song is really interesting and not what a lot of songs are written about right right Uh, i mean he's like obsessed with language um clearly and you know talking about high and low art it's like also the like quality you know the concept of small talk is a really interesting concept to explore like the you know the idea that some speech and language is more significant than others mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? and and the, yeah and that this song is you know specifically about two people that used to be lovers 
that now are exchanging pleasantries because they're still seeing each other. And isn't it strange that now, like, you know, there's lines that's like, isn't it strange that all we used to talk about are, are all we talk about is the weather when, you know, you know every inch of my body in intimate detail, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, in, that's in the song. And for a song like this, for the packaging of it, that's actually pretty intense. It's an intense, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's, uh, you know, there's another line in the song where he's like, oh, it's taken us this lifetime to like both be completely intimate and like know each other as total strangers as well, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And that's, in, that's intense um, yeah. at the surface and definitely an exploration of like relationship contexts. Yeah. So cool. And something that we think a lot about, I think, as comedians, you know, For what's sure. the basis of the relationship? Yeah, definitely. Um, and and just like, you know, what would seemingly be a pretty common and typical, you know, subject of a pop song is, you know, like lost love or like, you know, re- or just even dealing with relationships. And he does it in this like really co- complex way. The other thing I think he does really well, just in, you know, kind of thinking about his, the way he uses language. And, and, and he actually was really influenced by hip hop. Uh, early hip hop as yes. well at the time, and then later um, on, he did a whole hip hop project with a bunch of rappers, which is really cool. Yeah, um, uh, so, but he, I think he is very aware also, and does it so well. Is cognizant of, especially in a pop song, of lyrics being rhythm and like being a the the actual sound and structure and order of the words you use are, you know, significant in you know, being like almost like an instrument or like a rhythmic instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it, it, every word is so like syllabically precise. Yes. Right? That it almost like it could be like scatting almost, but he's actually, you know, saying something really um, interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it feels like poetry in the way that it's really carefully considered yeah. in terms of the, in terms of like, just like, the ratio of syllables uh, yeah. and the ratio of like consonants to vowels, you know, in all yeah. the songs we're going to cover. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, there's I was... nothing that frustrates me more in a pop song, even if you're saying something profound, but like it doesn't quite fit the cadence of the rhythm. Like it just drives me nuts when people, you know, and it happens all the time in pop music. It's absolutely. Like... And, and one line I feel that's ill-considered can really ruin a song on multiple totally. listens. And it's like, it, it hurts my ear to hear it. Yeah, my, my current pet peeve is, I maybe have talked about this before, I mean, if I have or not on the podcast, in Shallow, the Lady Gaga, you know, the song from A Star Is Born. Yeah. There's that line, isn't it hard keeping it so hardcore? And it just bothers me so much. It's like, just doesn't fit like this, the structural scheme of the song. And it in itself is a stupid line. And it's just like, it's just been on my mind over about the last year or so in that that song, if I heard it on the radio, other than that line, I would probably be like, fine with it. I don't think it would be my most favorite pop song of all time, but you know, like I'm not an elitist. I'm not like, you know, like there's a lot of other, you know, Lady Gaga stuff that I've enjoyed from the last 10 years or so or whatever, but that line just completely, it just like sours the song for me. And it's why this sort of writing is so important and, and what Green Guardsdale is doing so well here. Yeah. I can't think of an exact example, but just to that, like, 
Um, it frustrates me. I hear it in pop songs, but then I'll hear it in like the most punky punk song. I'll hear it in a hip hop song. Like, you know, people fuck up all the time. <laughs> yes, that's true. You know, and doing something that's a little more DIY or a little more sloppy doesn't give you the excuse to write something that couldn't be improved upon. <laughs> that's uh, yes. So the sa- let's talk a little bit about the sound of this record before we move on, because it's an interesting team of people that were associated with this because like pretty much after the first Gritty Politty record came out, Green Guardsdale just, or sorry, Guardside just Mm -hmm. sort of went and did his own thing with the name and Uh the rest of the original members were no longer involved because, Mm -hmm. you know, he wanted to really go a different direction with this and much to Rough Trade Chagrin, he ended up signing a contract with Warner Brothers to distribute this. But Rough Trade also knew that they didn't really have the money to achieve like what Green's musical goals were here, yeah. you know, on the on the album. Uh, so, you know, they kind of needed to let him go. But it seems like he had enough preliminary success that he was really able to just kind of meet and interact with who he wanted. Mm-hmm. And while he was formulating this new sound, he met this keyboardist named David Gamson, who mm-hmm. was really influential on this record. And, you know, I don't know if you learned this in advance of this week, and it's just like such a funny connection. You know what David Gamson played for Green Gartside that made them want to work together? Um, it's well, He did a... I shit you not on, you know, on my, on my fucking podcast, he did a like very synthy instrumental, almost unrecognizable demo of Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Really? Yeah. <laughs> which is so weird. And I'm reading this and I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I'm like, I can't escape this. Like, I'm happy to not talk about the history of bubblegum music for an episode of our podcast, but like, there it is like hitting me in the face again. Uh, so I listened to the demo today and I'll put it in the show notes. It's really cool. It's Whoa. like, it's like a, it's like a hard, you know, lush, very much sounds like the, like this album, but like a lush eighties dance track version of Sugar Sugar. And it's only based on Sugar Sugar. It's called Sugar Sugar. The songwriters are credited on the demo notes and everything, but it's really only a version of Sugar Sugar in terms of like, he uses the chord structure. He doesn't Mm -hmm. even use like the vocal melodic line of the song, but it's very cool. And it's very, it's smart. And it sounds like it's the future. And I can tell why Green Guardside was so taken by it. Mm -hmm. So, he, they, they, they got together and started writing together. And then uh, they were able to work with, for most of this album, they were able to work with this producer who I'm surprised I never heard about because he's really prolific, a big right. dance producer, uh, RF, Ma- uh, RF Martin, mm-hmm. uh, who worked with Queen, uh, worked with Shaka Khan notably, which I feel is like closer in style to to this album and then also worked in her career with uh laura nero who we covered on another episode of this podcast so just worth mentioning as well yeah and he he what's interesting too is like i took it for we all know or most people know like ahmet erdogan who founded atlantic records Mm. but it looks like he brought with him like this whole turkish army of dudes who were just like took over the record industry yeah (laughs) yeah like this pocket of yeah this pocket of people which is like totally I think a story of 
the record industry, you know, if it's not the Jews, then it's then it's like another group of like hardworking immigrants that like yeah. stake their claim in a certain genre of music. Totally. So actually, one of the first things they worked on together is the next song we're going to talk about, which is called Would Bees, and then in parentheses, Pray Like Aretha, Aretha Franklin. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of it and and talk about it. him as a vocalist is just he's really emulating like black soul singers it's like so obvious uh in a really cool way and i think that like there's a lot on this album vocally that sounds like kind of an al green tribute you know yeah that's a yeah that's a really good point i think that is like the closest because but it's so i mean his voice i mean i think it's really it's clear that he is uh emulating like um you know, like 70, 60s and 70s, like soul, like sweet soul crooners and things like that. But he also, I think he has a very unusual voice in that it's so light and sweet in like such an aggressive way, you know? Yes, absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, he's singing in his upper register for the entire record. He, yeah. He doesn't yeah. drop down at all. It makes the whole sound very, very smooth, but also, yeah, like there's kind of like an aggressive androgyny to yes. the album. Totally. And, and I feel that that is, that, there was a trend of that at the time in in pop music in general, you know, like there's definitely certain, not all of them, but certain like big Michael Jackson tracks at the time where I think yeah. he was really going for a similar sound. There's almost like a crossover vocally between what Green Gartside is doing on this album, like what Michael Jackson does on like human nature from Thriller. Yeah, right, I, right, totally. Um, yeah, I could definitely, like you definitely hear the Michael Jackson, but I think that, yeah, that's a good, track to kind of like anchor you into like what exactly Green Guardside is doing with his voice. Yeah, you know, and yeah, and this is sort of the whole the whole record sounds like <laughs> sounds like yeah. this. And it's really, really cool. Yep. And it's also like I feel that this album is it maybe I think I can safely say this we're like 47 episodes in or whatever at this point. I think this is the sexiest album we've ever covered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this album's really sexy, right? And it pulls no punches in, you know, in terms of that. And yeah, it, maybe, maybe part of what makes it so, so sexy is the fact that it's so honest with itself as to what it is. You know, it's like really unbridled, but it's yeah. also really smart. You know, it's not a dirty record. You know what no. I mean? 
Yeah, and I think on this track in particular too, I think you hear, I think a lot of the like, quote unquote sexiness comes from some of the like hip hop influences. Like this is like set, it's like has a lot of lush pop production, but like at its core, this is like a hip hop beat mm-hmm. I feel like, in a lot of ways. And even on the on the chorus, he he's like kind of paying homage to, I think like hip hop culture by like, you know, he, like he spells out would be like W O O D. He like spells out the words kind of in like yeah. a pop call and response. W O O D B E E Z. Yeah, which he does within the chorus. Yeah, right. which is yeah, totally. Uh, that's that's a really cool point that I didn't think about, but that definitely feels call and responsey. Yeah, and then there's the chorus, which is uh, basically alluding to the song "Say a Little Prayer," mm-hmm. which was Aretha Franklin's biggest hit in England, which is cool. Yeah. I read an interview with him where he talks about this chorus and about sort of utilizing that throwback where he said that when he was recuperating from from his, his breakdown that he had and he was sort of thinking about what he believed in, he was feeling highly disillusioned with Marxism, yeah. which is where he came up and he started considering himself a materialist. Uh-huh. And which, you know, materialism, that's like a real, that's an 80s thing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, so, but that's what he was considering himself. And he said that he was identifying with the fact that Aretha came from a gospel background, but had abandoned her gospel roots, but was still using her gospel idioms in order to sing these pop songs. And he felt like the song, Say, Say a Little Prayer, I Say a Little Prayer, was the closest he could get to being religious was that Mm. song. And that that's what he's writing about in this, in this song, you know, that when he says, I pray like Aretha Franklin, it means that like, I can't really believe I don't have any spiritual basis right now, but I can pray in the same way that my, my pop idols prayed through their music, which is I, for me, it's very identifiable. Yeah. That's so interesting. Now I'm just thinking out loud too, but like, you know, I think that is a um, sort of a progression a lot of like young sort of intellectually minded people have because he probably, you know, the materialist conception of history is a Marxist concept. It comes from Marx. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think about, you know, history in that way, meaning that, you know, we can learn more by what peer, people's material, people are motivated more by material concerns than any like theology or uh, you know philosophy that they would like ostensibly espouse but like that concept of like i still am a materialist in like the marxist sense but i am disillusioned with the marxist like movement and scene and people i know in the uk like you know who who are like putting this concept into practice so like the idea of like i still have this framework of thinking about the world but i'm not part of that world anymore is really interesting especially when you compare it to like you know, falling from grace, like, uh, or like, you know, not being part of leaving like a religious movement in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Or leaving any kind of movement, yeah. you know, because Marxism in a way is a rejection of all religion, but totally. that in itself makes it somewhat fanatical in the same way that religious movements can be, you know? Yeah, so, it can be. Yeah. 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 So For it's sure. super, it's super similar. Yeah. And, you know, and as per usual, I just want to call out that one of the best things about doing this podcast with you is your ability to link pop music history and what a certain artist may be going through with and putting it into like a really strong historical context. So thank you for that. It's just great. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, you do a great job. It's great. <laughs> uh, there's um, one more line in here that actually like fits with that whole theme of dichotomy that I think is so cool. Uh, just before we move on from the song, and that's the line where he sings at one point, that's the gift of schizo, which oh I God. think is such a great kind of use of the whole idea of schizophrenia, which, you know, I'm not making light of. It is a real, uh, very difficult disease. You know, I, I don't want anybody to misconstrue my words here, but using the term schizo, which, you know, still can be used as sort of a slang for feeling one way and then feeling another really rapidly and not really knowing where you fall on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but describing it in this song as a gift sort of mm -hmm. is, I think, like him reflecting on all of his experiences and, and processing them in a way where he feels like this is a positive thing for him to be doing, despite mm -hmm. the fact that it's difficult. And it's just such a cool line, you mm -hmm. know, talk about him being a wordsmith. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Oh, so this song was... Scritti Politi's Breakthrough UK single. Mm -hmm. This was the one that really put them on the map as like a pop band. Mm -hmm. And at the time, him and his backing band were in look very new romantic. Yeah. Like long hair, you know, and they had makeup. very, very slick videos. <laughs> yeah, a lot of makeup. Yeah, long hair, makeup, really beautiful kind of um, pastel colors on in their clothes, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they were really being marketed for the same sort of groups of listeners that were listening to bands, other new romantic bands like, you know, Tears for Fears or AHA or that kind of thing. But I'd say that mm -hmm. this is, they're coming from such a different place with it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, listen to a little bit of Perfect Way. This is the last song that we are covering uh, today, but the whole album is worth a listen. The whole album is a is a fucking jam. Question for you. Is this just an incredibly lyrically dense and complex song about wanting to get with a with a lady? <laughs> or is there or is there more to it than that? What it, what do you think? I think it is exactly that. I mean maybe there's more, but I think it is just like a really dense, like, let's fuck song. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> like, Which is kind of awesome in itself, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, for the the I mean at the end of the day, the the last line of the chorus is just I got I got a perfect way to make the girls go crazy. It doesn't get simpler than that. No, it sort of actually goes from being complicated. 
the song to getting more and more simple yeah. in terms of the fact that yeah the chorus is really simple and then the the verses are like you know you really have to like move through them with a comb the, yeah, the yeah. verses are like you know even just the first few lines like i brought up the lyrics while we were listening to the song just because like i really need to look at these again like i took a back seat a backhander i took her back to her room i better get back to the basics for you you got a conscience compassion you got away with the word you got a heart full of complacency too so it's like the alliteration that's going on is like off the fucking charts <laughs> yeah, yeah. right and then like it is it is it's very very sexy lyrical skill is a totally uh sexy trait for sure <laughs> and yeah. once again early hip-hop for sure, you know, this is basically like his own like really cerebral way of being like, you know, I got the lines that make the ladies scream. Yeah, right. right <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, like, right, right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is which is so cool. Yeah, and and this was also this song, this was probably their biggest hit. It actually reached number eleven in the US, probably if you yes. know this band, which a lot of people don't actually, but if you do know them, this is probably the song you would know. Yeah, um, and this and was this a surprise was... hit for them. This was released as a single and they were expecting it to peter out, which all the other singles had done in the States from this yeah. album. And then this album, it was a surprise, yeah, 11 on number 11 on the Hot 100 and it charted higher on the disco and, and R&B charts as well. Yeah. yeah, big club track. And also this just can't be you know, uh, understated how danceable this record also is. It's like, really oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a club record for sure. Like, this yeah. is like, you know, this is a 1984 Danceteria. You know, big, this is, this is like time. Jelly Bean Benitez spinning this. This is like yeah. clearly what this is. You know, you can, you can hear, and this was recorded in, in New York, despite uh -huh. his British, uh, you know, or his, his UK roots. And you, this is a great, you can really hear the pulse of the city in this record, which yep. is just fucking awesome. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, this is the first song that I ever became aware of, probably in college. And yeah, I was just fascinated by, you know, because at, at what, again, I think this is a perfect encapsulation of, you know, this is such a clean, shimmering, big 80s pop hit that is just begs to be, dissected and deconstructed and re-examined in in every way and then the whole album you know this was my kind of segue in and then i you know got the whole you know listen to the whole album and it's just fascinating yeah it is it's it's really worth multiple multiple listens and mm -hmm. you know really what someone should do and this would be a bit of a different format than what we do on our podcast mm -hmm. but someone should really do an annotated version of the lyrics for this yeah. album. Uh, yeah. It would be really, it would be really incredible. Like we've really only broken the surface in terms of uh, what he's referencing, uh, you know, and, and even in the, just cause we haven't talked about it yet, even in the, the actual title of the record, you know, Cupid and Psyche, uh, that's a story, you know, a myth that is about, you know, two uh, beings that, when they learn too much about each other, that's when they fall out of love. And mm. if they had kept it simple, they would have been in love forever. 
and one of them learns too much about the other one and, and runs away. And I feel that that's sort of the, that's kind of the overall theme of the album is, is like mm-hmm. the delicate balance of information versus lack of information and how it intersects with, with romantic emotion. Yeah, that's it, so interesting. Yeah, another thing kind of along the lines of just like how deliberate, I think I've gotten more, uh, I've, become, I've gained more respect for Green Guard side as being like a genuine, like really, really talented, one of a kind lyricist. Mm-hmm. I used to think that people were maybe giving him too much credit in the lyrics, that they were just like sort of, they were like pop lyrics 2.0, but nothing that special. Sure. You know, there's this great um, interview with Patty McAloon, who's the lead singer of and songwriter of Prefab Sprout, which yep. was is a you know big sophisticated pop UK band or you know from around the same time and you know there's this interview of him kind of saying about green card side you know he's deconstructing uh the concept of a pop song and pop lyrics by constantly peppering in words like girl and baby and I'm like yes but part of me is like no that's not deconstructing that's just making you could say that about every pop song that they're deconstructing yeah. it like but but i really think the more so part of me used to th- listen to this and be like oh everyone's just reading in too much and giving him too much credit i'm sure he's a bright guy but i'm not sure of all of that is so deliberate but the more i really have listened and especially over the last few weeks in preparation for this i think he really does we we do have to kind of you know take him at his word and you know kind of give him the credit for really sophisticated dense lyrics that are as complex and self-aware as everyone you know gives him credit for yeah absolutely i think they're actually that good yeah they are they're <laughs> i agree with that 100 i think <laughs> they are that good and just the fact that he's not talking about you know a girl he's talking about the word girl right it just changes what's going on in such a profound way but in a really subtle way Mm -hmm. but i also don't feel that it's cleverness for cleverness sake that this is him this is this feels like a nice pure genuine expression where he's kind of like i want you to come with me on this this isn't me being obtuse i am sharing my thoughts with you in a way that you know and, and several people that have worked with him i saw in interviews this week have said, and this was like really nice to hear, that everything that he brings to the table is really fun, that he's fun Mm -hmm. to work with. This isn't one of those stories of an album where the results are amazing, but recording it was incredibly difficult and he was a horror to work with you know this isn't a john martin type uh, yeah apparently or a van morrison uh yeah or a van morrison mm-hmm. yeah that this is a guy who actually it seems through interviews with him and with other people he seems to actually have it together pretty well he seems to have a pretty good head on his shoulders doesn't seem to be an egomaniac but he stretched the imagination but is just incredibly sharp and smart and approaches things that he writes and uh, records with a real sense of joy to them. And that's yeah. awesome. That's cool. And that's also kind of rare. That's, uh, that's a rarity. And, you know, the pop music world is a world that rewards bad behavior, you right. know? And here's this guy that everybody that I saw interviewed about him, regardless of whether it was his producers, his keyboardist, some of the hip hop guys he worked with, 
uh, a little later on or just like, yeah, it was just so fun getting to have conversations with him about how this should feel and what this should look like and then getting to the studio and doing it. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and one of his regular producers was like, it's been fun for 20 years. Everything he does is fun and everything he does is different. And that's what I like about working with him. And that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, and another thing that sort of made me like him even more was just this sense that I got also just from researching him that he doesn't really take himself so seriously, especially for someone who is such a sophisticated uh, lyric writer and songwriter. He takes ideas seriously, but he doesn't take himself so seriously. Yeah, and what a concept. You don't need to be a major asshole to be a good artist. <laughs> yeah. I know, you hear you heard of your first juke heads, you know? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's very, very cool. So I have a question. This whole world, his whole world of music is new to me over the last few weeks since you brought it to my attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you for it. Have you delved into some of his other styles of projects? And is there other stuff you could recommend? I genuinely don't love a lot of the other stuff. To sure. Be yeah. Why not? Why don't you love the other stuff as much as this? Well, mostly the one the one that came after provision is just sort of a bit of a less uh you know, I think he's taking a lot of the same sound here. And apparently he was having a breakdown while he was recording the next album. Yeah, so, which can either be great for an album or terrible for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the um I, I do like the album that um came right before this because that the that Scritti Politi album, that's the that's the Rough Trade album that had the original band. Uh, songs to remember which is very different from this one there's there are there's a song called the sweetest girl yes um, which i listened to in advance for this which yeah. i really like that song yeah and you kind of can see him maybe trending in this direction but it's the whole album is much more of a in like early 80s indie post-punk album and it's really cool and interesting in that way yeah uh, very not as clean very much totally not as clean um or shiny as this album. So I would say if I was going to recommend another album, um, listen to Songs to Remember. Um, it's cool. not on Spotify, unfortunately, but it's it's a cool, interesting album, and it doesn't sound a lot like this one. Yeah, and just because we haven't addressed it at all during this conversation, but The Sweetest Girl just makes me think about this. And it's interesting. I don't think we've talked about it because it was so common in the late 70s, early 80s for these songwriters coming out of the UK to have a reggae influence. Mm -hmm. But it like just needs to be said that this is another example of someone reconstituting a lot of reggae sounds with some of the stuff on this album and with The Sweetest Girl as well. You know, we talk more about the soul influences, but that there's some there's a lot of like really good like dub dub sounds on this album as well. Definitely. Yeah. And it's speaking of, yeah, the first track on Cupid and Psyche um, is the word girl, which has a very. Um, yeah. Which is similar in sound to the sweetest girl. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> but the sweetest girl, I think, is about a girl. And the word girl, just to be clear, is about the word girl and how it's used in the context of pop music. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what else would you recommend if, if we enjoyed this? Is there anything else that you would that you would recommend? You know, kind of thinking, you know, got me thinking a lot about, you know, just like interesting post-punk transitions and, you know, synthy. Yeah. Another album that I kind of love that I kind of lump into this world is just I love Erasure. Yeah, um, they're so great. 
my favorite album is The Innocence from 1985. So I definitely recommend, you know, listen to that whole album. For those who don't know, Erasure is pretty much the brainchild of Vince Clark, who was part of, I mean, what a, just, we should do a whole Vince Clark, you know, uh, d- deep dive. He was, he was part of Depeche Mode. He was part of their mm-hmm. first album. Yep. Then he left formed a brand new band called Yazoo. Well, Yazoo in the UK, Yaz here. Yep. They had two massive hit albums. Oh, then yeah. He, then he left, formed Erasure, his third band, who became even bigger. Yes. And, uh, I mean, what a fuck, what a badass guy. Um, just yeah, he two- basically tore through the 80s. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with the shiniest, uh, like, cleanest, most fun, pure pop. Um, and it's really, really fun. So listen to the album, The Innocence. Yeah. Yeah. Situation by Yaz is oh, like, it's unbelievable. Listen yeah. To all of it. Listen to everything Vince Clark. Just listen to all of it. Yeah, totally true. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I'd like to recommend this week is just for our listeners, if they're not as familiar, to do some research and look into 80s freestyle. Because I feel that the 80s freestyle music movement owes a lot to this record, but kind of simplifies and like revs it all up a little bit with some of the big singles. One of the most famous 80s freestyle songs that uh, I just think never goes out of style is Let the Music Play by the artist Shannon. Uh, (laughs) It's just a killer great song, but that was a really interesting dance music movement that comes mainly out of New York City that was only really around for like a few years in terms of its popularity and has a really distinct sound and is some of my favorite dance music of all time that we haven't talked a lot about on the show yeah we should do a we should do a deep dive yeah yeah freestyle is i i love 80s freestyle anyway yeah uh but thanks for your your suggestion and um thanks for bringing this album to my attention in general because it is so it's such a delight it's awesome (laughs) for sure (laughs) So this has been Kick the Jukebox. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And yeah, this is our season finale. We've been doing these weekly, almost without a break, like the since the end of March, yeah. which is awesome. And for our listeners that are going to listen to this later, it's now the end of September. And we've had so much fun doing this. It's It's really been like I at least say for me personally, like a pleasure and also just like a salve on like the fact that the world's been like really rough and kind of difficult and strange lately. Uh, I I second that. And one thing I've kind of taken for granted, it's made me so much smarter about music to be able to get to talk about it every week. I feel like I've like, you know, it's, this has been my uh, 20th century pop music grad school. And guess what? You already were smart about music. You had the smartness about music inside you all along. (laughs) You yelled so loud that your mic cut out. So that's going to be great for our listeners. (laughs) So yeah, so we're going to take probably about, I'm guessing about a month long break where we're going to release several episodes in the interim that are going to be some best of episodes, which is similar to what we did last week, because we have so many recurring themes now in the podcast. I actually think it would be fun for everybody to revisit those themes through some best of episodes. And then we're going to come back with 
full season that's going to have a little more of a charted arc because we feel ready as music geeks to give that a try. So yeah. we're excited to be planning that and we're exciting. We're very excited to unleash it on the populace. So yes, indeed. Yeah. So, you know, if you're enjoying what you're what you're hearing, you know, please hit us up on social media. As I said before, you can rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and you can leave us a message on our anchor.fm page as well. All right. Well, for Kick the Jukeboxes season finale, I'm Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. We will see you around like a record. Kick the Jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the Jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah!